We're heading back to Yokohama and back to the blue carpet. It could not have gone better. Brilliant from Nim. She wins in Yokohama. You know, he's always been an absolute warrior. Blumenfeld is going to win it. A fantastic day for the Norwegian. That's what it means to him. That is, of course, what happened last year. Tune in to triathlonlive.tv for all the action from the World Triathlon Championship and Paris Series Yokohama this weekend, kicking off at 10.30pm BST Friday night with the para racing, then a good honest 2am in the UK, 9pm New York for the women's race, and 5am UK midnight East Coast US for the men. But before that, or during or after, I hope you enjoy the next hour in the company of a triathlon devotee, fanboy and pioneer, not to mention champion. Today on the World Triathlon Podcast, it's my pleasure to welcome a World Triathlon Champion, two-time Ironman World Champion, long-distance World Champion, founding father of Super League Triathlon, driving force behind the Sub-7 and Sub-8 projects, man behind the Phoenix Foundation, undoubtedly one of the great ambassadors for the magic that is Swim, Bike, Run, Here's Chris McCormack. Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? I'm in Phuket. I was in a bit of a rush. It's very hot and humid. I haven't been back here since the pandemic because of where I've been living the last eight years and it's great to be home, but flying up to Europe in about an hour and a half's time. So I'm keen to see what happens in Yokohama. So I'm, I'm worried I'm going to miss the results. So I'm, right. I'm such a geek for everything that happens in triathlon. I, <laughs> I'm the biggest fanboy ever, even though I did the sport. I, I started as a huge fanboy originally and, uh, I guess I was inspired by, you know, the old guys like Greg Walsh and Mark Allen. And when I was young, they were the, you know, they were the pillars of this sport and inspired me to, to take it up. And, and I'm still, even though I'm retired, still a fanboy of Swim Bike Run. Yeah, well, obviously, definitely want to want to talk about the, um, the first races of the year. But yeah, safe to say it's been a pretty big month in the world of triathlon and is only going to get bigger. Arena Games, first triathlon eSport World Champs crowned. Christian Blumenfeld making history again. Uh, Yokohama coming up and then a certain sub seven and sub eight challenge approaching. So, yeah, none of this post-Olympic quiet year to be found anywhere out there this time around. That's been chaotic, hasn't it? You know, we were we were begging for sport like two years ago. We we're like, oh, please bring some races on. And now we've got so many of them. It's, it's wonderful to see. And, you know, let's start with, uh, I just want to throw it out, Christian Blumenfeld. Wow, what a what a twelve months he's had, you know, and to 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 win in Utah, you know, it's the first time ever an Olympic champion is the Ironman World Champion. He's also the World Triathlon Champion. That's just never been like it's 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 you know the goat. You know, we always talk about Jan Fredino in that with those and Mark Allen as the greatest of all time. But and it's 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 very premature in in Christian's career. He has a long way to go. But when you when you have a season like that and you start winning the way he's been winning and 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 being clear in his intentions, it was a remarkable, remarkable season, a remarkable win. But yeah, it's, mm. it's just exciting. As you can see, I'm a, I'm a geek for it all. I love it. I follow it religiously on the, on the ITU level and uh, the world triathlon level and, and the Ironman level. I'm just a, you know, a behind the scenes fanboy. And even though I'm <laughs> heavily involved in the administration and, and, and events now, and, and my company does a lot in the space. I, I'm truly inspired still by, remarkable athletes and and the current crop of of triathlon stars are, are truly remarkable inspired by but also you know still 
innovating and, and bringing new things to the table and so on. So I, yeah, I wanted to start with the arena games and the Singapore final obviously just happened. It went Munich, London, Singapore this time around for the first kind of series, obviously the partnership with World Triathlon in there as well. Um, but that was actually, wasn't Singapore your first experience of it in person, given that it was obviously launched during lockdown and so on. Was Singapore the first time that you'd been there up close and personal with it? Yeah, it is. A Singapore, well, Super League, uh, our company was born out of Singapore. It's a, it's a Singapore company. And uh, we were, I've been living up this part of the world for so long. And, you know, we've been hoping to deliver a championship series in Singapore. And then COVID threw a spanner in the work. We have done a championship series race there in the past. And, and then sort of the Arena Games was a, was a byproduct of the pandemic. So some positivity comes out of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, when, when people are under duress, you, 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 you seem to be more... I say more disruptive to the play, and and you know when we when we discuss my business partners and I, Michael Dawes, the CEO of Super League, and and you know obviously World Triathlon, and and my team, uh, an esports sort of pivot uh, around that pandemic. A lot of people laughed, said it's impossible, and and you know I, I get really driven by people saying what is and isn't possible, and uh, so it was just remarkable to to deliver a few events last year in the last couple of years. But this year, to partner with World Triathlon and that that alignment has been truly remarkable, and them to really amplify a lot of what we're doing and and really solidify and ratify, you know, this esports, the momentum of esports racing, and really the move towards potential Olympic Games racing in, in this style of format. So, Singapore was an incredible backdrop. What a race, you know, and and it really showcased a lot of the talent that is coming, a lot of the talent that currently exists, and uh, I just like the whole concept from a. De- you know, from a from a pathways and develop development pros, you know, prospect, I guess, or, or mm. project and things such young talent being able to use this esports racing where you can take out a lot of the a lot of the skills that may limit younger athletes and and you know, like bike skills and and, and run form. And you can just be get really ugly out there in, in an arena game style race and just rely on on your physiology to perform. And it was it's it's really cool to witness and yeah, Singapore was above and beyond what I expected, and and now we have you know world champions over arena games racing. It's just it, it, it's quite surreal. Yeah, it really is. And then you see like a Hayden Wild and a Cassandra come in as well and do what they did on their debuts, and yeah, it's just amazing. And and how over the next two, three, four years, it it will continue to morph, right? That the the, the way that it's yeah. approached. Yeah, look, fundamentally it's swim, bike, run, right? And, and you know, the fundamentals of triathlon uh, are still there and still intact. And, you know, it, I must admit, when we first went down this pathway as an organisation at Super League and, and I was a little bit, you know, apprehensive. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching a, a, you know, you know, sitting there thinking, okay, esports, triathlon, it's an endurance sport. How's this going to work? And, you know, you have amazing partners with Swift, without question, and, and then when we delivered the first event in Rotterdam a couple of years ago, we're like, wow, we're always changing and innovating and, and, and seeing the, the issues and the, and the stress points. And when you actually saw that, um, when you saw that event in, in Singapore, and as you said, Hayden Wild doing such amazing things, like Hayden, what a talent he is. Like to think, you know, I know he's an Olympic bronze medalist, but he is just going from strength to strength. Him and Alex Yee have this remarkable rivalry that's starting to, to brew they're great friends but they they really feed off each other add christian blumenfeld to the mix christian seems to want to do everything mm. but you really drop him back in world triathlon racing you get those three together vincent louis 
it is an amazing era we're, we're witnessing right now. And, uh, and they're very, very young and they're really, really pushing the envelope. And, and we saw that in Singapore. I know it's a, you know, it's on a, you know, what do you call it? An esports background, but it's, you know, there's still that power, that pace they're putting out is, is truly remarkable. The watts per kilo is amazing on the men's side and the women, you know, Cassandra Bograhand, what a talent, and Georgia Taylor-Brown, the, the British triathlon racing is remarkable. The Germans are doing such amazing thing. I think the great thing about Super League and, and the great thing about that arena games of what we've witnessed is you're seeing such depth in this next generation. You know, a lot of people, I remember when Jan Fredino left, a lot of people were saying, IT racing to move up in distance. Oh, there's a big hole left. And then Alistair Brownlee and Johnny Brownlee filled that hole with Javier Gomez. We're like, oh, what's going to happen after these guys? There's a big hole, but it just seems this this momentum that that this inspirational momentum that these athletes leave behind and inspire that next generation to come for and push. We're seeing that in Hayden Wild and Alex Yee, and they're a byproduct of the generation that's come before, and they're even better hmm. than that one. And we didn't even see athletes like Vasco Velasco. We didn't see a lot of athletes that are that we're going to see in Yokohama uh, yeah. that are that are really going to push the envelope. And now, obviously, London and Munich, to a slightly lesser extent, like the, the sold-out arenas and that, ultimately, it, an arena games is full of people. And those that, that extra layer of atmosphere and what that you could see, what that did to the athletes was, was amazing as well. Yeah, for us, watching, you know, the, the series issue, starting in Munich, where there wasn't as big a crowds, there's still, there were still some COVID restrictions on, on people in the, in the arena, in the, in the swimming pool area. And I remember when the London event came where it was a sold-out house. And I remember I still recall sitting with – and I couldn't hear him. He's, li- he's literally sitting next to me. We're trying to call this race. And the, the noise in that stadium, in, in, that, in that arena was – I was looking at trying to lip read. It was, it was remarkable because I've never experienced that before in, in triathlon because usually we're outdoors and, 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 the, and the sound of, of the crowd screaming is, you know, spread outdoors. But when you're in an arena like that, the noise was remarkable. And I was like, "Far out! We are truly onto something here. This is really, really cool racing." And it's and then Cassandra Bograhand to do what she did at that event, and and you know, the, all the athletes to do what they did in their racing was was really cool. And then for me to see it up close and personal for the first for me, Singapore was the first time I've sat there and watched it up close and personal because we've been locked up in Australia, and to see it, it, it really brought a smile to my face, and I actually thought, "Wow." You know, we're going to go from strength to strength to this. And, and I had the opportunity, as I said, to speak to a lot of the athletes. And they had such a great time. They love the format. They love the concept. They're able to use it as a, as a true racing, uh, uh, you know, a preparatory racing for the, for, for the events that are coming up in Yokohama. But they walk away with a world title, world triathlon points towards the Olympic qualification. It really, you know, the partnership with world triathlon has been, I've got to say it again, truly remarkable for us and uh you know bringing in and tying in those global federations and having athletes experience super league for the first time and, and how we work and and really working with world triathlon who are a lot more rigid and oh, rigid's the wrong word but a lot you know there's a lot more protocol set in place because of their involvement in the olympics super league is a little bit more flexible and we do things a little different and and that partnership has been remarkable and and really really i think pushing the sport to a new echelon and, and the proofs in the, in the viewership, we had more people watching arena games and watch the Ironman world championships in Utah. So <laughs> the proof is in the pudding really. And uh, I think as we start to continue this momentum, as the world opens up, I've always been a big believer in, in short course triathlon, even though I did Ironman racing as I, as, as I aged in the, in the sport, my biggest regret was moving up to Ironman too quickly. I was in my late twenties. I should have stayed and, 
and um, and hung around for for a few more Olympics. I, I just think the talent in in multi sport racing and triathlon in particular currently exists. It always has existed in ITU racing, and and I get excited when I see the next generation because I just cannot imagine they can be any better than the generation before. I didn't think there could be another athlete on the men's side as good as Alistair Brownlee. And then Alex Yee came and Hayden Wild came and Christian Blumenfeld came. It's just my mind, my mind is blown away. If, if, if people told me in my day that the athletes would be doing what they're doing today, I would have been all in. It's not possible. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I, and I'm both on the men's and women's side. Like the women are racing as quick as the men. The women, Georgia Taylor Brown probably would have won the world championships. I won. She's that good. You know, like it's Flora Duffy. Would have, it's, it's remarkable. I, I, I truly get a buzz out of it. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you bring up Flora Duffy. I mean, talking of greatness she she could become literally like the, the greatest woman ever if she wins her fourth world title right never been done with with an olympics as well um have you you know is she someone you've spent time with have you been able to kind of glean what it is you think that she's got um that could be the reason why she is potentially about to hit that incredible milestone yeah look i've known flora duffy since she was probably seven years of age i i <laughs> You know, in the late 90s, 95, 96, 97, we used to race in Bermuda. Um, there was a World Cup stop in Bermuda every year. And I remember meeting Tyler Butterfield and Flora Duffy in the kids racing there. You know, it was, uh, and I've watched her evolve as an athlete. She is one of the hardest working athletes I've ever witnessed in my life. One of the most driven athletes I've ever witnessed in my life. And, and all athletes are driven, but truly a remarkable talent, a once-in-a-lifetime talent because – and she wasn't born that way. And, and I, I say that with the utmost respect. You know, when I, I remember a young Flora speaking to her mother and, and being in, in, in Bermuda, she, you know, she wasn't the best youngster. She wasn't – she did it for fun and she grew her, I guess, her strengths out of just wanting to do it and being self-driven. And, uh, and was it a I competitive did, instinct, though, as well back then or not – like, was it, it was more of a love and the competitive edge came later or, you know, I wonder what, what, what it was that drove her to realise – okay, maybe I'm not the best yet, but could be, and how those sort of steps would have kind of grown. I think she's a byproduct of, of, of what makes every triathlete successful, and that's consistency. You know, if you look at Flora's evolution through the sport, she wasn't a fantastic runner in her early days, always been a fantastic swimmer, unbelievable bike rider. And her bike skills are above and beyond any of the other females racing. And I say that without question, I've ridden with Flora many times. She is a remarkable bike rider. Her, her bike skills are next level, and that is a skill that gives her a lot of strength in, in her attacking racing style. She's always in that front bunch in the swim. And her run, she has developed slowly over time and, and, and grabbed that form, and she's become one of the best runners. She, We'll talk about Flora Duffy will go down as, as one of the, if not the greatest short course triathlete that has female triathlete has ever existed. She will... She is the gold standard for this year. I don't see, you know, Georgia Taylor-Brown, Jess Learmonth, who's a little bit injured at the moment, Cassandra Bogram, potentially. We've seen that potential in the arena games, challenging her. But Flora, I think, is feeding off, off. She's always wanted to be an Olympic champion. She's finally got that. She's feeding off being Flora Duffy, right? And she's finally where she's always dreamed about being. And she's going to be a very, very difficult woman to dislodge from that position because I, I – She's got a, a lot of racing years left in there as she wants. I hope she doesn't move up in distance, having heard from Dan and others, um, her husband and others around her. 
There is no rush to go to Ironman. There's actually very limited, you know, desire to go up to Ironman. There is a discussion around going that 70.3 distance, but I think she could still be the gold standard and look at, at defending that Olympic championship in, in Paris. It is only three years away, less, two years away. Um, and and the Commonwealth Games this year in Birmingham, um, which she's, she's going to be very, very tough to beat. I, I, I cannot fault her. She, she is, in, in my opinion, you know, when Gwen left and, and moved across to running, um, I was like, oh, okay, there's a little bit of a hole there and, and who's going to fill that hole? You know, Flora did have injury issues consistently and I was like, oh, you know, but she's definitely filled it. She's very, very professional in her approach and I, I think she's really come into herself as an athlete. She's comfortable in her skin. I think she's the female Alistair Brownlee. Mm. Uh, I, I think she can go on to defend and I think we'll see that in Birmingham in, in the Commonwealth Games and uh, I think we're going to see that in this year's racing and I, and I feel Funny, I made predictions yesterday um, for this weekend's racing. I didn't know Flora was racing in Yokohama. I, I was under the impression she was going to start in Leeds, and uh, and I didn't pick her. I didn't. Pick her oh well, that's going to be. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you watch this, Flora, I didn't know you were on the start list because uh, she is definitely whenever she's on the starting line, the woman to beat because she has zero weaknesses, and uh, and nowadays in this day and age. In this racing day and age, you, you can't have a weakness and, and she has none. Yeah. Funny, isn't it, that you mentioned both on the men's and the women's side and reaching back kind of two decades, best part of two decades, that you have greatness and then when they move on, you think, ah, oh, you yeah, know, what, what is going to fill that void? And without doubt, someone is already kind of doing that and you don't even necessarily notice, right? And I wonder if, you know, Taylor Nib could be that that person and, and this race in, in Yokohama if, you know, those two on the bike on a course like that, again, it could be could be super interesting seeing how they push each other. And I remember Flora after, you know, after the Montreal last year, which was, again, what I would consider a mark of her greatness was the way she adapted to that elimination format and won that straight off. But she was saying that there was there was what's being pushed by Taylor there that she'd, she'd never kind of experienced on, on a bike course as well. So that could be a that could be the the next uh, the next kind of key um yeah rivalry brewing there yeah oh yeah i I see i see george i see a taylor and 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 flora and if you add georgia taylor brown and 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 jess learmont and and probably a cassandra bogran and that that big swim group i recall and i hate talking about the old days because it's never about the old days but i recall the great loretta harrop and nikki hackett in the late 90s going into the sydney olympics there was a remarkable athlete called emma carney there was another one called jackie gallagher the australians at that time were dominating world triathlon and uh, and with with remarkable run speed and and I think this Barb Linquist who was an amazing American athlete with Sheila Tomina and another American and Loretta realized that swim power up the front could change the dynamic of the racing especially if you're aggressive in your in your racing tactics and and they they basically made they basically showed the next generation of races they, they made the old generation obsolete they showed that if you had a weakness it was game over. I see that with Taylor Nib now and Flora and these big swimmers because of the way they race. It's one thing to swim well, and that's that's one thing, but they transition well and they are aggressive in that first 10 kilometres of racing, set it up. They're prepared to work. Flora's sort of a patron on the road. She will make sure she gets those those women working together. And and Taylor Nib is so strong, so strong with such a big swim. She's happy to do that, that, that power up front. She reminds me of a Loretta Harrop and uh, – that is a very, very dangerous combination. And, and where I see the next 
move potentially or the next challenge, depending on her mood as a racer, is Cassandra Beaugrand because she can really swim with these women. She has that bike skill. She's still a little bit, has got some skill work to work on, but that'll come naturally over time as she, as she does another season of heavy racing and as she matures coming into Paris. She is, when she's on form, the best runner in the sport. You know, we've talked about her talent for many, many years. She can benefit from this group. And if she can get in that power play and use Flora Duffy and Jess Learmont and Georgia Taylor-Brown to stay away, she has all the arsenal to win it. So there's such a strong dynamic of female racing happening at the moment that it's it's actually it's starting to get a lot deeper than the men's side. When you start laying out the, the players that are that are, can win these events, it's it's truly exceptional. And and they are so balanced, which is what I really enjoy watching. I, I I'm super pumped about Yokohama because we haven't seen this length of racing for quite some time, right? Uh, and, mm. and with with stacked fields, so mm. I'm um, I'm keen to see it. Yeah, really, really keen. Yeah, I guess after the super short stuff of the Arena Games and and the Ironman World Champs, this kind of fills that little fills the gap perfectly, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and Taylor seems to be jumping in. Taylor Nib seems to be jumping in and out of seventy point three, and you know it's very. The Americans do that. I, I like her, her, you know, sort of this laissez-faire approach she's having. She's so young and she's enjoying. Yeah. She seems to be having a really good time, and uh, it's just so. Oh wow, I'm really good. I'm like, yeah, you're really good. You know, and we saw that in Leeds, and I'm like, wow, you know, like you are remarkably good. You know, she's been such a good junior at under twenty three racing. We've seen the talent there, but to tr- it's one thing to be a junior and under twenty three talent, but to transfer, there's no guarantee you can transfer that up into elite racing, and she's done that. And she's built a hell of a lot of respect uh, at the long course level because mm. of the way she races. And I think the women see her as a, as a true threat, a true strength. And I, I hope in her own head this year, she sees herself as a major player because she, she could really do some, some damage on, on, on the rankings this year. And Yokohama, a race that you did in 2011, I believe, right? There's a brilliant picture of you and Simon Whitfield in the ice bath at the end of it. Doing the rounds on social media at the minute. I don't know. If you... <laughs> yeah, that was my my wife called that my midlife crisis. My thirty nine <laughs> trying to make the London Olympics as a thirty nine year old against. You know, I hadn't raced a ITU a world triathlon event for ten years and thought, oh yeah, I used to be world champion at this. I'll be fine. And then I saw what Alistair Brownlee, Javier Gomez, and you know a young Vince Louis. They just blew my doors off. Right, I was like, wow. <laughs> And I remember sitting with, with Simon Whitfield, the Olympic champion from Sydney after that event in that ice bath going, he's like, they're good, aren't they? I'm like, man, I'm happy I'm old. <laughs> man, I'm happy it's over, bro. Like, this, they are remarkable. Like, I, you know, I, I had my doors blown off from the swim. You know, they, it's just, yeah, it's a great course. You know, the, all the Japanese races have always been great for, for world triathlon. You know, they have, they've always had Fan Gamagori, they had Ishigaki, you know, Yokohama has been a, a, an event for many, many years. I think Tokyo Olympics, what a great course, great event that was. You know, I, I think the Japanese have really, really got behind triathlon. And, and that course there in Yokohama is great. And a lot of the athletes are very, very familiar with the course, with the venue, which is always it's always good. As you said, I, 2011, I think that it was already in its third or fourth year of racing. So it's now 2022. So we're talking 15 years of racing there. So it's a, it's a long time. So it is a it's a great race, and I do look at the event and think, oh, I remember that, you know. So it's um, yeah, yeah, it, it will be cool. Yeah, and that's not yes, and just touch briefly on the men's side as well. Um, you know, Vincent Vincent obviously won in twenty nineteen, and 
you, you know, whether it's him or Alex Yee or Martin or even a Leo Berger or Tyler Mislachat, like there's so many that could potentially win this race and that you would sort of fundamentally be delighted for whoever it was. Right. And, and kind of all the way through the, through to the, to the championships this year, it's impossible to call as it has been, I guess, for the last couple of years, but you do just wonder if this is going to be another one for Vincent, don't you? All world triathlon races nowadays are hard to call because there's so much, so many talents. And I think, you know, in years past, it was in Abu Dhabi. We'd wait for that opening round of the season where, you know, all the winter work's been done. The first race, we're going to see where everyone's at. That's really where I see Yokohama. We've been lucky enough to have arena games and that, but that's not world triathlon racing. It's a very, very different distance, very, very different skill set that is involved in in winning this. So, you know, we've seen some glimpses of, of, of form through the arena games, but, you know, we're about to see the big racing on the world stage here in Yokohama and we're going to walk away and go, okay, who's done what? Where do people sit in the year? And I'm very, very eager to see Vincent um, compete. I'm a huge fan of his work. We, I've worked with him for a long, long time and, and um, I'm a, I, just, I just love everything he does. He, he's a truly well-rounded triathlete. He's always going to be there in the swim. That's why I like Martin Van Riel. You put Vincent and Martin together, even though they're not training together anymore, those two together are a dynamic duo. Um, they're both very aggressive in the swim and bike. Hayden Wilk and Alex don't have that swim power and those with the utmost respect, you know, always very tentative on what they, they're very good swimmers, <laughs> but they don't, they're not going to be at the front where those athletes are. So I know Vincent and Martin will know that as will the big swimmers and uh, they'll try and capitalize on that and, and try and get that gap. Yokohama is a course where you can get those gaps and, and, and breakaway groups can stay away. And uh, I'm just keen to see how that that unfolds. So, I, you know, I, I picked Hayden Wild to to win this event. I, I think he needs a win. I think he's really walked off last year's Olympic Games with a bronze medal and such a great Super League series, such a great season. He's gone home. He's put himself, I think, in the Commonwealth. I don't think they've announced it yet, but I know he's done the qualifier for the Commonwealth Games in, in the 10,000 and the 5,000. So he's been doing a lot of track work. He's runs there. His bike skills are the top of the tree in the men's racing. He sets the standard, and I'll argue that with anybody. Um, I, I first saw Hayden, and I, I like telling this story because at the time there was um, Taylor Reed was the strongest Kiwi, and I was standing in, in Hamburg as a fanboy hiding you know, with, with Jonathan Hall, one of the coaches. Uh, he, was, he was the U.S. coach at the time, might have been the Canadian coach, and, uh, and Hayden was sprinting Mario Mola in one of the mixed relay races. I said, who is that kid? You know, his commitment to run into seventh, you, you know, it was like a sixth or seventh place finish. But he's, he dug so deep to run over the top of Mario Mola to finish, I think, sixth or seventh in mixed relay. I may be wrong. I might have been fifth or sixth. But I remember thinking most athletes like, oh, I'm not winning. And, and they, cover their, they cover their position, you know. And I saw an athlete that was fighting all the way to the finish, which mm. is a quality you can't teach. It's a quality you have. As, as an athlete and it's in you it's instinctively in you and then we, we dragged him across to super league i said i want that kid in super league racing and uh and he has just gone from strength to strength and, and to see him really evolve as an athlete I, I got a really big feeling 2022 could be the year of hayden wild and i think alex Yi is the athlete that's going to bring that out in hayden those two athletes those that rivalry mm-hmm. mark my words is going to be a remarkable rivalry and because they're very very similar in skill set and, they, and they're good friends and they're prepared to work together. And, you know, it's up to the other athletes, the Vincents, the, the, 
you know, even even the Norwegians. The Norwegians have benefited from from that team dynamic to some degree, right? Mm. And I think the rivalry of of Alex and, and Hayden working together will benefit them both. And I think, you know, my, I'm picking Hayden to to potentially win this. And and I'm going to get one better. And I'm I, I always feel bad because I, and I hope Alex is watching this because Alex, I, I never seem to pick you for a win. It's not because I don't think you can win. I think you are the the stand the gold standard at the moment. But I I, I just think. You know, you bring out he, Alex brings out the best in his peers around him, and and I I'm keen to see Hayden run over the top of Alex, not mm. because I don't like any athlete over the the other, but I think that'll inspire Alex Yee, like it did in the Championship Series at Super League last year, to rise again. And and all I want to see is where we're capable of going in triathlon, and I think you know we're going to start to see that in the next couple of years, and I think it's going to be led by those two in particular. Yeah. And you mentioned Christian there. He's obviously, he won't, he won't be in Yokohama, unfortunately, probably not kind of defending his title this year with, um, yeah, obviously St. George just in the bag, as it were, <laughs> and Kona coming up. Chance, right? <laughs> um, but also the sub seven, sub eight, uh, which we are only, what, three weeks away from now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, just give us some insights into what those guys are up to at the moment and how much you're kind of hearing from them and getting the feedback and how that is all coming together. Cause um, yeah, it's, it's going to be on everyone's lips in a couple of weeks time. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It was a concept. <laughs> we are sitting with Jan Frodino and Alistair Brownlee, Javier Gomez. We're in Bahrain. And after a 70.3 race, the Christian broke the world record at and Christian came up for, for lunch and for dinner with us and joined us. And I was talking actually with Daniela Reef about whether she could break eight hours for the Ironman, which used to be the gold standard in men's racing. She's getting so close and she was, and then uh, I remember Alistair and Jan, that, that was a great rivalry, I think, you know, and, and those two started talking, well, what about sub seven for the men? I'm like, ah, it's not possible. Come on, you know? And, and I remember Christian who was, had never done an Ironman, right? It said, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> and I remember looking across going, Wow. You know, like you're talking, he hadn't won the Olympics yet. He hadn't won a world championship yet. But he just won Lausanne, the grand final, right, uh, in world. And I remember thinking, you're talking to the last three Olympic champions and you and you, you just stated your intentions. You have a lot of charisma, mate. To, to, yeah, to be I'm going to bottle and, that and use it. <laughs> yeah, to be in a room and make a statement like that in the company you're with is, is truly cool. Right? And I said, yeah, and we started swapping terms. We had Mo Farah, there was a... Mark Cavendish were there for a, a 70 point. We were all talking. And what I realized when we sat back and they, I suddenly, this conversation around what was possible around the Ironman distance, if, if the rules were relaxed and, and, we, and we were able to draft on the bike like they do in World Triathlon, we were able to swim, what, what the standard would be. And I'm sitting there watching Christian, Jan Fredino, and Alistair, and Daniela, and, and all these athletes talking with Mo Farah and that, who aren't triathletes. And, and I remember thinking, this is engaging because they're not triathletes and they're actually talking about the endurance possibilities mm. of human endurance. And I said, well, if I could put this together, would you guys do it? They're like, what do you mean put it together? I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put an event together. Let's, let's have a crack. Writing on napkins going on. And <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it was. I, I, I really mean it. And, you know, we just seen the Kipchoge two-hour marathon project, the 159 mm. Ineos project. So I was talking about that. I said, and uh, – they're like, oh, you won't put it together. And I've, I'm like, why wouldn't I? Let's have a crack at it. So we, we, you know, I went away and we built up the concept and went out. And, and uh, I remember 
you know, everyone said you need to have Jan Fredino. Everybody, you know, Jan Fredino, Jan Fredino, Jan Fredino. And I wanted Alistair Brownlee and Jan originally because I loved that rivalry when they were racing, you know, post that Beijing Olympics when Frodo was the Olympic champion in 2009. Anyone that wants to be truly entertained, go back and watch on, on Triathlon Live, the 2009 series, The Emergence of Alistair Brownlee. You want to see dominance? That is dominance. And I, you know, that was my original pick. And then I was so inspired by Christian Blumenfeld. I, I was thinking, why can't three of them race? And, and, I, and I remember speaking to them all. And in the end, I said, let's go at Alistair and Christian. Because I, I really, and everyone criticized me. Christian Blumenfeld, who is he? He's done nothing. You know, like it was two years off. And my, my first thought with the utmost respect to Jan was, okay, it'll be 40, 41 by the time we do it. Maybe he's at the end, you know, and he mightn't be there. I've got to look at the next wave and Alistair. And I remember getting criticised by everyone when I picked Christian Blumenfeld. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, so everyone's like, oh, you're an idiot. He can't even do an Ironman here. And I remember speaking with him. He's like, I'm going to win the Olympics in Tokyo and then I'm going to win the Ironman. And uh, I just love athletes to state their intentions and I love them to put it out to the universe because it, it comes with a lot of pressure and he seems to ride that. And he's done it both. Mm. And I'm sitting three weeks out before sub seven with the Olympic champion, the, it, the dual Olympic champion, Alistair Brownlee, the current Olympic champion in Christian Blumenfeld, the current Ironman world record holder in Christian Blumenfeld, the current Ironman world champion in Christian Blumenfeld, the ITU world champion in Christian Blumenfeld. I'm thinking I'm a genius, right? Like, <laughs> it, it's, and and to, to follow their journey for the last two years, because for us, it was, it's really about capturing the journey to this, to this challenge, you know, what they have to do. And it's, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's not Ironman. I said, well, it's not Ironman. And I wanted to be Ironman because it's drafting. I said, you know, I was in 1995 when the ITU switched to, to non-draft, to drafting from non-drafting racing. I was part of that, that evolution. And, and the, same, the same discussions happened. But I can assure you, draft legal triathlon hurts more than non-drafting triathlon. Mm-hmm. It is hard. There's a lot more expectation. And, and now we've been following these athletes for the last two years in their, in their technology advances, what they're doing with their wetsuits, what they're doing with their shoes, what they're doing with their uniforms to, to, to really get those marginal gains. And when you sit back and watch what we've got in three weeks' time on the way. If you're intrigued on what the Norwegians are doing, then you have to tune into Sub 7 because oh, they are pushing the envelope next level. They leave no rock unturned and they are the gold standard by far and the confidence they build from it is truly next level. I, they, I keep thinking Rocky Four, Ivan Drago type stuff. It's remarkable what they're doing and, and – yeah, I've been able to spend a lot of time with both, with, with all of them. And uh, it's next level. It's, it's truly, truly yeah. unbelievable what, what, what they're doing to, to get under this record. And, and Christian doesn't want to just get under it. He doesn't want to do 659.59. He's like, no, I'm going to smash it. And, you know, we, we used to laugh, you know, only nine months ago. I'd tell people, I'm like, ah, he's video. He would never do it. Now, suddenly, everyone's a believer. So, you know, yeah. that on the men's side will be amazing. So are they both sort of locked away in their labs at the moment and getting, you know, testing out different types of kit and seeing what they're capable of? And, and what do you think that that kind of marathon time is likely to be? And Well, well the, the interesting, yeah, the interesting thing on both of them is, is and, and all four athletes, we have Nicholas Spirig and, and now Cat Matthews, Lucy Charles mm-hmm. Barclay got injured. And Cat Matthews just finished second in the Ironman World Championships in Utah. Um, they're trying to break eight, but all four athletes interestingly have different strategies. So when you watch that Ineos sub 159 project, you know, Kipchoge just 
he went and ran 250 per K pace every kilometre. It was like a metronome. So he just had to sit on a, on a pace and hold it, which was, was cool. With what we're asking in the triathlon is, is three different disciplines. And, you know, Alistair Brownlee, for example, thinks all the damage will be done on the bike. He's very, very focused on the bike work. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen on the bike? Christian thinks he'll run a 220 marathon. 220 <laughs> off the bike. He has Kenyan paces. He's going to give up gaps to Alistair. He's like, Alistair can have 10 minutes on me. I'm going to run a 220 marathon. And, and so it, it's, it's very, very interesting in the different strategies and the way their teams and their paces, they're allowed 10 paces each across mm. the three disciplines, how they're going to use them. And originally, we thought, oh, they'll get two of the France cyclists to ride the bike. They'll get – and and Alistair in his training training group has realized it's probably better. He's using Javier Gomez. He's using Johnny Brownlee because he can use them across multiple disciplines. So he has more – so the triathlete paces have been – better for them than the pure single discipline athletes and because you want to use as many paces as you can across more of the disciplines and and ali in particular his his bike strategy i don't want to give too much away on how he's going to it's a seven kilometer loop as we hit the lausitz ring in germany Mm. it's 20 kilometers from the swim to the lausitz ring and they do 21 loops how he's using his paces on those loops is really really clever to be honest with you he's, he's got johnny as his brother who's been with him forever as he's as basically his captain on the road you know javier gomez his great rival for so many years on his so team he's got, so we're going to see javier and johnny there as his, yes as yes 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 yeah yeah it's, it's cool <laughs> yeah. it's really really cool and christian's got this unbelievable team you're going to see kenyan marathoners that have just won paris marathon berlin that are two six marathoners and christian's like oh, i want a tempo I want to go out at 2.14, 2.15 pace. I'm like, how are we even talking marathon times like this when you've swum and biked what you've done? It's, and, and, and it's not just for gazy talking times. You know, They've got the backing and the science and the testing and the training behind it. We've captured all of that journey for the last two years. It's, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, you, know, you sit in the group and, and do it. And, you know, we would, uh, you know, there's an interesting piece we captured with, with Alistair trying to find his bike paces and, and – uh, a, a triathlete um, called Joe Skipper, who's won a lot of Ironman races around the world. Joe, who's you know one of the big, strong bikers in, in Ironman racing, he got his door blown up and that blown off. And Alistair said, "You're not good enough. See you later." No, we people thought that oh, you know, put Joe Skipper or Lionel Sanders on the front, but these guys can ride 43, 44 kilometers an hour all day. We're asking these triathletes to ride 51, 52, right? That's professional cycling level. The fastest ever stage in the Tour de France was when Johan Bruniel. Over 100 miles was when Johan Bruniel beat Miguel Indurain in the 1993 one of these stations at 52.27 kilometers an hour. That's what we're asking these athletes to ride. Mm. You know, and then Christian Blumenfeld saying he's going to run a 220 marathon. I just, as a fan of multi-sport, I just want to sit back and we're either going to see the biggest blow-up in history or we're going to see just something that is just, wow, truly remarkable. Like, truly yeah. like, oh, man, these guys are, in, are not humans. But yeah. but as a feat, obviously, yeah, the eight hour was was the gold standard for men, right? Previously, but yeah. until that conversation, the seven hour was. I was having this discussion with the fellow at the Guardian, and and he was like, "But it's the sub seven. Like, is that is that a thing? Is it like the the marathon the four minute mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I was like, "No, but I don't think it." Until that discussion, it wasn't really was it. It wasn't something that had been batted around. Never, and and it was. You know, Jan, after our discussion and when I didn't pick Jan, he went and put an event on 
and with against Lionel Sanders called the Try Challenge or the Try, and and he wanted to go after it, but it was he wanted to hold the rules of of Ironman though drafting, and he went seven twenty seven, and I remember thinking, wow, you know, like, but I wouldn't, I would have been like, had someone said to me, I broke, I'm a broke eight hours a few times as an Ironman athlete, and I remember thinking, oh man, I'm Superman, like I'm in, I'm I'm not human, I'm like the man. <laughs> now it's. When I saw 727 by Jan Fredino, I remember thinking, my gosh, that's fast. And now, you know, sub seven, it's never been a discussion because it never really came up. But when you when you break it down and you see what they have to do, it is above and beyond what 727 is. And then Christian Mummerfeld goes out in Cosimo last year and goes 724 or 722, whatever it was, on his own and then does 748 on one of the hardest courses like, as I said earlier, had someone told me that anyone was capable of doing these times 15 years ago, I would have bet my house, my kids, everything, you know, I would have been all in at the casino. Not possible, <laughs> you know, like, and so it's, it's, I, you know, I, I remember walking out of Bahrain when we discussed it on the napkin discussion, thinking, mate, these guys are nuts. It's not going to happen. You know, I sat next to Mo Farah on the flight back to, and we're breaking down. He was talking to me more about the running. And he was asking about the physiology of, of getting off a bike and running with the, you know, the shortened hamstrings and carrying a lot more weight. And, and I, was, I was asking him about Christian Blumenfeld, you know, like had he seen him? And I showed him a picture of Christian on my phone. He's like, that guy's too big to run a marathon, right? <laughs> I'm like, mate, so this guy thinks he can run 220. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I, that's going to be cool. But no, seven hours was never discussed, but now it really is. And it's not to disrespect the Ironman. For me and for all the athletes involved, it was all around what what is humanly, what are the barriers or the boundaries of, of, of what is possible mm. across this distance? Humanly, what is humanly possible? How fast can a human ride a bike over this distance after swimming with their paces and then run? And that's what we're going to find out. Okay, yeah, there's drafting and everything, but... Anyone who's done a team's time trial will realise team's time trial racing is no walk in the park. Ask any Tour de France rider that's done the team's time trial. That is the most brutal, scary discipline any athlete in cycling will do. And we're asking these guys to do it for 180K. It'll be really cool. And you'll see a lot of a lot of the major athletic stars we've talked to, you know, ex-Tour de France winners. And, you know, Robbie McEwen is, is in commentary with us. And even he's you're going to hear from him. He's going to go. A lot of you triathletes think, oh, it's not drafting. If it's, if it's non-drafting, then it doesn't hurt enough. And Robbie will tell you. He, he prayed for the individual time trial days because you control your power, you keep your heart rate constant. The worst thing is when you've got to pull a turn when someone when it's at fifty-one k now. your turn on the front. So it it, it will be really really cool. So mm. it's definitely tuning. Yeah, and what? Yeah. So as far as for the, the plan for like the TV coverage and the and all of that, how how's that? shaping up what's it gonna entail oh it's everywhere yeah it's it's really our distribution's really really cool we've just done a big deal with cnbc which is a big player where we're we're everywhere we, we didn't want to do any lockout deals so we you know it's part of the phoenix foundation and it's a not-for-profit foundation that we started to help kids to inspire kids to take up sport and so we're not in it for commercial reasons so for us that gave us a big astute advantage in the sense that we you know we we just gave the feed away you know, and I'm not locking it out. We want as many people to witness it as we possibly can. So we'll be mm. streaming it. It'll be on our platforms, we'll be on YouTube, we'll be on Facebook walls. You know, we have a live stream. We've done a deal with with Amazon Prime. It'll be an Amazon documentary post this. And, and um, yeah, you, you won't miss it, that's for sure. And anyone who wants to come, it's June 5th or 6th. We've got the long form 
long cast weather forecast for the you know we've already been looking at that we have the three win a three day window to to deliver the event depending on on the weather at the moment mm-hmm. it'll either be the sunday or the monday june 5th or 6th and uh you know because of the weather and it looks like it'll be about you know 20 to 24 degrees which is perfect very very light winds and uh, uh it's going to be seriously cool yeah, yeah. Uh, honestly they're really really cool God, I hope those conditions play play ball. And and having, yeah, yeah having the the so there's going to be kids from the Phoenix Foundation there as well, right? Having that, I mean that that's kind of completes the loop, right? You're putting greats pushing themselves to the limit to do something incredible, and having kids there able to to witness it firsthand is that's pretty much everything that you, that you stand for at the moment, right? Yeah, without question, we're bringing a lot of you know Phoenix as a foundation is doing a lot of stuff around the world. We we have Phoenix Kids Triathlon Series. Obviously, that's that's true to our heart at the foundation. We're all triathletes from the beginning and and, and getting kids actively involved in triathlon. We had, I think, 30,000 kids last year do one of our Phoenix Kids Triathlon in Australia and Switzerland, Nicholas Spiri. We have Javier Gomez, Alistair Brownlee as our, as our patrons. And, uh, you know, we have a Phoenix Futures program, which is teaching young 15-, 16-year-old kids that are looking at going to Olympic Games, how to transition from being junior to elite what is expected of them? We talk teaching. It's like a mentorship program. We had a, a first futures camp last year in the Olympic city of Lausanne, where we took 30 athletes from all sports and mentored them. We had Usain Bolt with us, teaching them about social media, teaching them about how to stand in front of a camera, teaching them about everything, you know, like mm. I, I do recall transitioning from a junior into the elite ranks going, Oh, how does this work? I've never done a drug test before. I've never done anything. So that's a great program we do. And, and we're bringing a lot of that alumni. We just delivered another Futures Camp in Australia. A lot of them are coming to this event. There'll be a lot of the kids that have done our kids' triathlons coming to this event. And, uh, you know, we do an education program and through the schools around the world with kids just like a, a physical education peer, getting kids active. At, at the core of, of Phoenix, it's about getting more kids, getting kids off this, what we're doing, off Zoom calls and, and games and and, that, and getting back out and playing and getting engaged in life. And and uh, and it's all, yeah, we're, we're definitely... Yeah, re- really pumped about that. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of them there. If you're free, come out. Come out and have a look. Come and <laughs> come down. I'll VIP hook you up. You're gonna, it'll, you'll be blown away. It is part of the reason that, that the philanthropic side of it is so important to you because it is something of a not exclusive sport, but it, it's a hard sport to penetrate. It's an expensive sport. You know, you're going to see Blumio on a bike that, you know, people can't comprehend ever being able to afford a bike like that. Um, so, yeah, I suppose is, is that part of the reason that it's so important to to try and bring as many young kids from yeah. all corners of the world into it? Yeah, look, I, I, our core sport is difficult. There's a lot of barriers to entry for a lot of people around the world to get into sport. And there's no denying and running and, and sports where there's no barrier to entry are always easier to get into. And for me, I... You know, when you retire, you had a lot of time to think, right? You know, I was sitting there going, what were the best days of my life? You know, you, you become 40 very, very quickly and and you're like, wow. And I, and I remember feeling the most engaged and the most connected with the sport of triathlon when I was such a youngster looking up to the stars, wanting to be that. You know, it's suddenly you arrive there and you're like, oh, it's not everything it's made out to be. You're like, oh, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, that that journey to there is is remarkable and 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 how – easy it is to be influenced and inspired by athletes and you don't realize the responsibility you have as a as a major elite athlete on the next generation and you know Ironman I always saw and I loved Ironman racing so I'm not, I don't say this with any critical malice but it's sort of a sport that 
mass participation driven. It's sort of like a midlife crisis sport. It's not really inspirational to, you know, my son was, this is boring dad, you know, he's 11. To turn on ITU racing or world triathlon racing or super league racing, you can keep them engaged because things are happening. And, and, and for, for me, it was like, okay, what can I do to, to bring more kids back to sport? And I don't want to be just a triathlete. I want to bring kids back to sport. And so we formed the foundation in 2019, obviously the, COVID happened and, and we were disrupted. And, you know, we started with our ambassadors, predominantly triathletes, and Katie Safaris, Jake Burt, we saw we had, we had, you know, obviously Alistair and, and many others. And, and uh, then the world stopped. And, you know, we were able to deliver a lot of things virtually and we created apps and stuff, but it wasn't really at the core of what we wanted to do. So we decided to do sub seven to just draw attention to the movement, to defy the impossible in the sense that, you know, we wanted to tell kids that, even if you're Alistair Brownlee or Christian Blumenthal and you've done all these things, it doesn't mean you stop setting goals. It doesn't mean everyone says, oh, you can't break seven hours. That's a stupid thing. Why would you do that? My answer, why wouldn't you do it? Is it why, why wouldn't you try? Like what, what, when you become good, you just stop dreaming? Is that, is that what happens? <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we really want to teach in, with kids that no matter how good you get, no matter where you are, you stand up. Don't fail, you know, there is no such thing as failure. You, you fail, you get back up and you go again. And even if you're Alistair Brown, even if you're Christian Blumenfeld, you've won everything there is to win. Like you can sit back on your laurels or do you stand up and set a new challenge? And that's that's the mindset of a phoenix, to rise again no matter what. And that's sort of how we came up with the entire foundation. And then we started raising money and we had some great, you know, patrons that started supporting us. And in particular, our chairman, Sebastian Kulchik, really, really bought into it and, uh, yeah, it's just gone from strength to strength about able to raise all the money. And as I said, we've had so many kids now coming through it. And I just feel so liberated that we're making a little difference. And it's not about me. It's not about, it's just about, you know, sitting back going, this is really, really cool. You know, like I, I remember being you and I, and, and it just makes you feel young again. When you get old, trust me, do all the triathletes that are racing Hayden and all you guys and all the women out there that are racing. <laughs> You get old real, real quick, and uh, and yeah, you, you you do miss the days of being young and 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 having all that opportunity ahead of you, and and that's what I just want to make sure that's available for for more people, more kids. So your um, was it ninety three was the Manchester World Champs where you went as a junior, and I'm always yes. like, you know, you look look through the sort of uh, vaults of triathlon live, and I think the World Championships go from sort of Avignon to disney world and suddenly they're in manchester <laughs> i'm thinking like yeah, yeah. you know you've come over from you've grown up in sydney your first world champs and it's in like salford or somewhere like not even a glamorous part of manchester which there wasn't i just kind of fascinated by yeah it's like your experience there you're touching down you said you know reflecting on the best days of your life do you do you look back on that moment do you still have like clarity of that of that occasion oh. Oh, without, I remember it like yesterday. I could, mm. I could drop back into a conversation. I remember seeing Spencer Smith, this great English athlete with Simon Lessing, these Brad Bevan. Spencer was my age, racing the pro race. He won that day as a 20-year-old, 20-year-old right. world triathlon champion. The awe I had of this, the, 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 the presence he had was just, I've never been so inspired by an individual or so, I mean, inspired is the wrong word, so in awe of an, an athlete in my life and, that was watching that race. You know, the juniors went in the morning. We sort of swam out in Bolton and we, we finished in, in Manchester and it was oh, yeah. non-drafting. And, and we all did non-drafting Olympic distance. There was no under 23s. It was junior and pro. And, um, and we finished the race and, and, uh, and I was, I think, who won that day? Olivia Hushmed and there was Ryan Bolton, who's a great coach now. He's coaching a lot of the athletes now. 
and Alexandra Manzan, myself, and I look, Olivia Marceau, a lot of these athletes went on to win world championships, you know, um, you know, Norman Stadler, who became a big, big athlete racer of mine. We're all in, you look at the start list, you're like, wow, Stefan Pullet. And, uh, but I remember watching that thinking, this is what I want to do. I have found, you know, I've found my purpose in life. You know, I was, I was at university and, you know, triathlon was fun, but I didn't think you could make a life out of it. But there was hundreds of thousands of people, you know, and it was a, there was a lot less restrictions or a lot less rules. World triathlon was sort of shaping up at that time. The ITU was only four years into its existence. And, you know, the crowds used to, used to run at the crowds and they'd peel out the way like the Tour de France. You know, I'd never seen, I'd never seen you know, 200,000 people in a city before. In my and that life. was Manchester, like in, in 93, there was that many people turned out as well, was there? 93, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a remark- then, they, then barricades came and they pushed the spectators back and they made, everything became a lot more structured and, and, and for, for the better, isn't it? but no, for sure. But at the time it must've been so exciting and you feel like you're part of a gang, right? Doing this thing and yeah, yeah. You know, breaking yeah, new yeah, ground. You're, you're part of the, this it crowd that, 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 <laughs> yeah, that no one else knew about. I just... And I, I left there and I got offered a, a French racing contract and I went to France. I was 19 years of age. I deferred university. My father was livid. He was so angry that I rang up and there was pre-mobile phones. And I remember ringing on a pay phone, dad, I'm not going to uni. And he was yelling and I ran out of credit. Uh, I'll deal with it <laughs> it's the first months. time you call me in two months of this news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, traveling around, you know, I'd never seen the Alps before. Coming from Australia, I was, you know, I was in, I was in blinkers. And uh, I just thought this is what I this is what I want to do, and this is who I want to be. I want to be Spencer Smith. I just want to be like him. He's my idol, and and you know, careful what you wish for. He became a very close friend of mine, and and then I end up one of my main rivals in my career was Simon Lessing, who I ultimately beat in '97 to win the World Championships, and Hamish Carter, and a lot of these athletes that went through that era just are still very very close friends of mine to this day. And you know, we're very very blessed to do triathletes. Triathletes nowadays can whinge a little bit about things, but Trust me, we are very, very blessed to to get paid for what we do, to travel the world and live the lifestyle you live, to be as active and healthy and to have purpose. It's it's really, really cool. And and you know, you know, the people, like-minded people, it's you know, people search for that their whole life. And when you find it, like I did in '93, and I connected with this community, it's become my life and it's still my life. And I'm 49 years of age and still talking to you about triathlon. I'm a geek for it. <laughs> and then I guess heading into like Sydney and like there must have been so much noise and expectation and anticipation about about the Sydney Games and for you kind of having it as a home Games but I'm just interested how that was for you for like yeah it's a home Games it's the first triathlon Games and um, what a, what a period that must have been to for you to have to deal with I guess yeah look I remember I was as I remember being in in the former president of the ITU was a Canadian gentleman called Les McDonald. I was very lucky to, you know, you're, you're very lucky. You're, you're at the right place at the right time. Many times in your career, I was in, I quit my job, moved to Europe in, in 96 and uh, had no idea really. And even though I finished university, I was working as a, as in finance and bankers trust and quit it and threw it all into be, to chase his dream. Met Les McDonald. He invited me as a wild card because I had a really great opening Paris world cup. My first of all cup, I finished six. He was like, who are you? And I was trying to tell him I was his junior. I got fourth at World Juniors a few years ago, but I, my father made me finish university and, and I haven't been doing triathlon and I want to be a pro. I want to be like Spencer Smith, you know, like, and, and I was a part of that because I was in Australia when 94 was the World Championships in Wellington in New Zealand and then 95 in Cancun was the first draft legal World Championships in that transition. In Japan, I was racing in juniors in Japan in 94 
And Les McDonald said, we're going to the Olympic Games, but we need to become drafting. And everyone was like, that was like blasphemy, you know, like drafting. <laughs> That's not triathlon. And, 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 the, and the world split. Triathlon split. The Americans went the non-drafting way and Europe and the, and the Olympic movements went the drafting way. And I remember thinking, man, this is now a legitimate sport. Like before that, it was a little bit like Spartan, right? Like it, it was a lot of people did it. But when you're in the Olympics, it suddenly legitimizes what you do. And I went, that is what I want to do. And then Sydney had won the Olympics. I'm like, my gosh, like it, the Olympics is going to be the first time triathlons in the Olympics. It's going to be Sydney. It's going to be the opening event of the Olympic Games. The first event will be the female and male triathlon at the Olympic Games in Sydney at the Opera House. What a backdrop in the greatest Olympics of all time. I, I, a lot of other people might argue, but <laughs> as an Australian, it was just mind-blowing. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a youngster, I, that, was, that was, for me, it was it. And then, as I said, 97, I was world champion. So suddenly I'm going to the Olympics with the legitimacy of winning it. In 98, I was world number one. 99, I won a few World Cups. And, and then I won the first, um, our first um, Olympic qualifying race in, in Gamagori, our first Olympic trials. And then my mum got sick. And, I, and my mum passed away just before the second trials race in, in April of 2000. And, and, um, and I, I sort of dropped out and the team opted not to take me to the Olympics, which was, looking back at the time, I couldn't understand it. But looking back, to be honest, I, I wouldn't have done anything. My mum was everything to me. And I, and I really struggled with that for a long period of time. The, the guilt that came with being away and never ringing her. Nowadays, you have mobile phones. You speak to your mum every day, I'm sure. But back then, you, you, you know, you, pick up, you send a couple of postcards and you yeah. know, I felt like I hadn't spoken to my mum for years. So I really struggled with that. And, and, and then when I didn't make that Sydney Olympics as you know, number two in the world, and I was devastated. I didn't want anything to do with, with the Australian Federation again anymore. And then my 2001 year post that was my best ever season. I won like, three World Cup races and won the Google Games and I was back racing and, and I wanted to go to Athens, but I wanted them to pick me for Athens. I didn't want to go through that process again. And when they said they wouldn't, I said, well, I'll do Ironman. And everyone laughed. And it's my biggest regret. I say that to you now. I, I wished I hung around for Athens, but I just, just had this chip on my shoulder that I, I felt like I let my mother down by not going to Sydney. And, 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 and I didn't want to take the risk of letting her down again by not qualifying for Athens. So I thought I could control my own destiny by doing Ironman. So as a 28-year-old, I did my first Ironman in 2002 and, and that Ironman journey started and it probably robbed me of some, some, some pretty great racing I could have done at the ITU level, but it will never, never know. And, you know, Hamish Carter, my great peer and friend, went on to win that from Bevan Doherty in Athens in, in another remarkable race. But the Olympics to me is the greatest thing that has ever happened to the sport of triathlon and, and the athletes nowadays are so lucky to, to experience it and so lucky to have it and so lucky to drive um, towards that goal, and and I say hang in there as long as you can because it's 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 amazing. Mm. So yeah, you you on reflection, you think maybe like the overwhelming emotion of having had you got to the Sydney two thousand start line with what had happened in your personal life, it could have been a bit too much anyway, and perhaps like was the federation sort of trying to take that into account do you think or was it they did they definitely took it into account but i was too young to realize that you know yeah. now now with an older head on my i was like oh, i don't know what they're talking about and you know you're robbing me of my but you know that they're, they're in the job of getting in australia at the time people need that six of the top 10 men in the world were australians mm. so it wasn't like oh how can you leave the number two in the world off the number three was an australian the number five was an australian the number so we had a yeah. lot of depth to pick from so 
I, I can appreciate and understand that now with an older head on my shoulders. But at the time, I was I, I felt like it was a personal attack against me, mm. and 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 I, and I benefited from it because it really drove me to prove them wrong, right? Like, ah, up yours, I, I'm I'm good, and I went three years without losing a race, you know. So it was it was the catalyst that that launched my career. Even though I had a great career, it was the catalyst that launched me. To do what I what I what I did in my career and 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 push me into Ironman racing, which I probably would have delayed um, had that not happened. And, and who knows where your career would would, would, would go had it, had that not happened. And mm. uh, and I wish losing your mother on anybody. But you know, looking back now, the federation had has their job to do, which is win medals, and pick the best team that they think is in the right frame of mind to win. And and I think you know I say this openly. I think they'd made the right choice because I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I. I, I you know, I was lost. Mm. You know, I really, really struggled. And, you know, it was only four, what, four months later was the games. So, you know, it was tough. Without a doubt, it took some cajones to then come back for and try and qualify for 2012 and to put yourself out there like that and just, you know, laying yourself bare to, to, to come back and try and do that. And Easy decision, to be honest. I, really? I, I was so content <laughs> with my career in 2010 and I wanted to retire, but I just won the world championship and, I had like five years of sponsorships. I was old. I was 38. I couldn't believe these companies were going to sponsor me again. I was sort of at the peak of my racing and, and Ironman's very special distance. You can be old and, and compete. And I just didn't want to do Ironman anymore. You know, I had a young family. I had traveling the world. I wanted to settle down and, and focus on them. It's, it's quite narcissistic sport at a professional level. It's, you know, it's very much about you. And a lot of people make a lot of sacrifices for you to be good. And my wife and family were, were, were ones that did that and I was ready to walk away and, and the Olympic Federation reached out with a sort of an olive branch to say, hey, can we talk to you? There was new, new people in power there and they said, oh, would you consider coming back from London? I, I thought it was a joke at first. I said, what do you mean London? Yeah, they're like, oh, well, you could still qualify. You, you've got to try and make up some points in the next 12 months. I had zero points and, I, and, and the biggest obstacle was trying to get the points to qualify me to make the Olympics, let alone winning a qualifying point. Right, so I remember talking to my wife thinking well what a great example is set for the kids you know it's one thing I'm a, I'm a world champion i've done all this stuff what can i go and win another one like who cares like why any not dad's on? listening you're setting a bit of a high bar <laughs> yeah but i thought like my kids are sort of, sort of sitting there i'm thinking why not show my kids that it's brave to to i always wanted to go why not even at 39 years of age you know i remember seeing i remember meeting alistair and and he, i was talking to him you know his coach at the time was benny bright who i used to race with and 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 you know, man, he was talking to me. I was in Kitzbühel. I hadn't done a World Cup race for 10 years. And I just won Ironman Cairns two weeks before this race. And the Federation drove me across, wanted me to come across. And the analyst was like, oh, you'll be fine. These guys are hopeless. You'll beat them. Don't worry about it. I'm like, mate, I'm 39. And now I talk to Alistair as a 33-year-old. I go, mate, you still got six years to go. Imagine going back to ITU racing in six years' time. You start to understand. You know, you probably looked at me like, what a stupid old muppet. But, you know, it's like. And, but I, I, I would never have met the athletes on the World Cup circuit had I not gone back. I, w- I had such a great time. I went and watched the London Olympics with my kids, even though I didn't make the team. I was an alternate on the Australian team. And I absolutely have zero regrets trying to do that. And my kids remember that journey more than they remember the, my Ironman. So uh, they grew up on that Olympic. And they, you know, Lisa Norton and Nicola Spierig watching that London Olympics you know, and, and Nicola and Lisa, my kids know them. Like, well, I was in training camp with these guys, you know, Lisa Norton in particular, um, and training for, for those games. It, it, you know, it's it was really, really cool to give young kids that experience. And I saw 
what that journey, that decision of mine did to my kids. My mm. kids want to go to Olympic Games. My daughter wants to be an equestrian. My other daughter wants to be a water polo player. And my son wants to be a sailor. And I'm like, wow, you know, like, and that was all because their old midlife crisis having father decided at 39, he, he thought he could make London. And even though I didn't make the team, that they, you know, I, I felt really, really satisfied with, with the journey. I didn't, I didn't make enough points to, to make the team anyway. I didn't, in 12 months, I didn't accumulate enough points to go. Right. But then just decided to bookend the career with ITU then uh, with the long distance championship title as well. 2012 yeah well yeah i didn't make the team and then i just pivoted back i thought i'll go back to to long course and i saw that that unique distance in the middle i didn't want to do ironman again um you know i I left enough of my body out on that those lava fields i and and i'd always wanted to do itu long course worlds because i used to watch nice and mark allen as a kid and 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 there's a there was amazing opportunity in victoria that the national team selected me and it was the first and only time i'd you know, I hadn't done anything. I'd only done ITU racing or Ironman. I never done 70. I did 70.3 races, but I'd never raced 70.3 world championships. They didn't exist. You know, the unofficial world championships back in the day used to be an event called Wildflower, which I won four times. So I used to, I was considered the best 70.3 racer in the world my whole career. But that just, the series didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, and, uh, and then this opportunity to do ITU long course worlds, I'd never raced it. I thought I'm going to go there and win that world title. And I did that. I remember sitting with my wife going, wow. I've got the full set now. I've got them all, you know, like good time to walk away. So it was, yes. you know, winning, winning all the titles was all I wanted to do. And, you know, I got the full set and, and did that. And then we started moving into what we're doing now. I thought I could want to start to give back to a sport that had given me so much. Yeah. And now, as we said, like the sub seven, sub eight, it's going to be amazing for you to be able to kind of be right with them on the, on that journey. And, and for Christian, who's obviously got Kona very much in his sights as well. Like the, the difference between, say, a Utah race and a Kona and, um, you know, your, your first Kona experiences were obviously tough and it's a very different challenge and so on. So, like, just to, to put into perspective what he has done to be able to get that title in Utah already, what, what a different type of challenge the Kona one is. Look, when you talk about Christian Blumenfeld, the status quo doesn't make sense because that guy is, a, is an outlier. Right, you know, he's just won Ironman World Championships on debut. Only Luke Van Leer has ever done that in 1996. He's the ITU World Champion. You know, his range is, at, you know, we used to talk about Jan Fredino's range. It's it's gone because he is current. You know, Jan transitioned like we I did as well. We transitioned up in distance. This is the current ITU World Champion, current Ironman World Champion. Right, it's, it's never existed before ever. Kona is a completely different beast. And, you know, I, w- I wish the world championships, I hated Kona. I wish the world championships rotated all around the world. I probably have six or seven of those titles. I won every Ironman I ever did, but couldn't win Kona. So I only won two of them, right? But I never lost another Ironman. Actually, I lie, I, w- I lost in Frankfurt once. But, I, um, you know, it's a, it's a different beast. But, you know, a very different time of racing because we raced a lot on perceived exertion. We didn't have power meters. We didn't have, mm. you know, we didn't have a lot of the stuff they have now. So it was much more reactive and spontaneous racing. There was a lot more you know, you blew up a lot more. Now you're just getting feedback all the time. You ride your power, you know, everything going in, you're taking it. You know, they've even, they even have, you know, these things that tell them when to have their gels, right? They have heat, like it just didn't exist when we were around. Like it's yeah. a lot more information coming back that they can race with. The technology is all there. So they're able to get this range a lot more, but you know, you know, Kona is a special beast and, uh, but Christian Blumenfeld, you know, <laughs> he can do anything, man. Like, I mean, 
this guy is he, he has the mindset of a winner he is truly truly his self-belief is next level whether you believe it or not and i refuse to bet against him and uh um but you know you've got to go to Kona. my head you must go to kona and you must prove yourself in kona the tour de france is in france you can win the giro and the vuelta in cycling but the tour de france is the tour de france and to me the ironman hawaii world championships is still the the one you must win and and, and if you have utah it's great but if he goes and wins he, he sort of ratifies or solidifies his greatness by by winning that title in October again in in in, mm-hmm. in Kona. And he has to knock off Jan Fredino to do that. And I can't wait for that war. Yeah. But it's yeah. going to be a very different approach to that race to Utah, is it? Like, you know, as a man who's, who's raced plenty of Konas and plenty of Ironman that Hawaii Yeah, the unique, challenge, the unique challenges there. But as you're seeing, we sort of saw this in cycling where the, you know, the racing is all around data now so the the that 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 i guess that marginal that sporadic differences between ironmans aren't as aren't as extreme anymore because you have so much data right and and that's why the the you don't see the blow-ups like you see you don't see men like norman stadler nearly winning this event in kind of blowing the pieces and walking to the finish line jürgen zach these, these things don't happen anymore because you know the spontaneity of the racing is gone because you have that data so you know it's not a foregone conclusion it's a different beast, Kona, the heat and humidity. The course is not that hard. If you turn the heat and humidity down, it's not that hard. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, you have to. It comes with a lot of pressure because there's a lot of history there. It's the most historic race in triathlon. It's been around since the triathlon was born. So it, it carries a lot of weight. A lot of the old champions are there. A lot of the momentum, a lot of the war stories come with that event. They don't come with Utah. They don't come with Frankfurt. They don't come with Roth. They don't come with Platzl. They don't, they come with Kona. And we've all heard them. Yeah. And you say that you don't you don't care about them, but you, they, they 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 they're heavy. You, you, they weigh on your mind, and and you know you have to push through that and deliver. And and uh, there's no foregone conclusion. And Mark Allen gave me some great advice, you know, before I'd ever won it. He said every year there's a lot of champions that could potentially win this, but uh, only one does. And you're going to talk about as we do all the ones that didn't win it. It's it is what it is. You know, there's a lot of people with opinions in, in triathlon, a lot of them, and and. You, uh, you know, I think Christian is well, Christian is 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 a freak. He's a he's an outlier. Um, there's no guarantee he'll win it, but you know, I think I think he's hard to bet against. And I don't care what the um, pros, what what other people say, until you've raced at that pro level, and until you're chasing that title, that world title, and you're at the front of that Kona race, and you feel that pressure and you feel that expectation. You can only speculate what it feels like. Having been there, it comes with weight. It comes with anxiety of being a Mark Allen, being a Greg Welsh, being a Dave Scott. You're about to join the the. You're about to join an incredible list of champions, and uh, you know it. You know, maybe Christian doesn't see that because he wasn't a geek for it like me. But you know, I know even when you speak to Jan, the the the, the pride that comes with that lay on your head and, and winning Kona is is unlike anything you've experienced in that sport. And, and when you feel it, you, you want to get it again. And you know, there's a finite amount of times you can get it. And that's what makes it so special. Yeah. Well, yeah. What a year already. Right. And it's going to be, um, and a, a word as well about Lauren Parker as well in Utah, obviously an amazing. Uh... Oh, Lauren, Lauren's, Lauren's amazing. Like Lauren, I knew Lauren as an able body athlete after the horrific injury in 2016. And, um, you know, working with her for the last, 
what, five years and, and her commitment to being an Ironman athlete, she, you know, I, I saw her the week before she went to Utah. She was part of our Phoenix Futures camp we did in Australia and she came and spoke to all the youngsters and uh, she said, I'm going to, to win the Ironman World Championships in, in Utah. I said, how are you going to get over this course, Lauren? She's like, I'm an Ironman, Macca. <laughs> now it's a mindset. I'm an Ironman. And she truly is. And she is, you know, a, a, a woman that, that just is has an has an no quit attitude. She's a she's a she's a killer. She's a she is an inspiration. An iron will for sure. Well, brilliant. I was gonna. Go, there was a quote that you you said on the uh, uh, on the sub seven website about bring me your best, bring me your targets, and I will go after them. And that attitude being authentic and inspiring, the average will find excuses and reasons, while the exceptional will continue to raise the bar. That's exactly right. <laughs> Enjoyed that little summary, and it pretty much resonates with everything that we've talked about and every person we've discussed so thanks very much chris it's been brilliant talking to you cheers great to chat mate tune into chat tune into sub seven you can't miss it if you're free come and join us come and join us in the lausitz ring in dresden germany you're all welcome to come and watch history be made it's going to be next level fantastic all right thanks a lot chris take it easy cheers